Good morning. My name is Sally Pendergrass. I serve on the Connect team and the prayer and communion team. And today's scripture reading is from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Sally. Good to see you this morning. How are we doing? I think this is what the scriptures talked about, the remnant, are those who attend church on Labor Day weekend. Come on now. <laughs> Memorial Day weekend, Labor Day weekend, you deserve uh, double Sunday school points or whatever it is for attendance. Uh, let me also say this to you. I almost feel like you deserve like, some inside information. So next Sunday, let me tell you this, we're going to finish up the book of James. We've been covering kind of the major themes and topics of James and then on the 17th and 24th of September, we're gonna do a two-week series uh, called God and Sexuality. So we touch on sexuality probably every year because it's such a hot button, there's so many questions about it, we live in such a culturally confusing time. So we're gonna uh, have two Sundays in a row on the 17th and the 24th, and then we're gonna do something we've never done before, right? How would you like to take a risk and do stuff? And so on September 28th, right here on a Thursday night, we're gonna do a God and Sexuality Forum and it's open for anybody who wants to come and ask questions. You'll be able to submit live questions and feedback where we're gonna go into the weeds. Um, things about LGBTQ, transgender, you name it, you can ask it. I have no problem saying that I do not know. We're also gonna have some guests up here along the way. It's not a service. Uh, it'll be kind of a living room kind of forum up here on stage where we'll be addressing topics. Uh, what we want to do is to help you grow. We want to create a safe place for a loving dialogue to occur because how many know that doesn't happen anywhere else, right? And we want to lead the way as the body of Christ to say, hey, how do we love people well? How do we stand in truth? How do we walk towards life and issues of sexuality? That's going to be a two-week series, and I, I rarely, you know I don't say this all the time. Uh, it's really one sermon I'm doing over two weeks. I would love for you to be here for both of those because I really do believe it's going to be life-changing for you. This morning, the book of James Patience in suffering. Uh, I recently read an article a few weeks ago really interesting on the psychology of waiting because how many know we'd rather do anything than wait? And it was really about how organizations and companies use distractions to keep customers satisfied while they're waiting. There's a whole kind of psychology behind it. It's why there's TV and waiting rooms and magazines and it's why when you check out, there's little things that, you know, to check out so it keeps you, keeps you distracted. In fact, I read that People put mirrors in front of elevators in different areas because you don't even realize you're waiting because you're looking at yourself in the mirror the whole time. And it's a whole psychology uh, behind all of this, but uh, supposedly the undisputed master of the psychology of waiting is Disney because they can get us to wait for an hour and a half to two hours in line for a four-minute ride with our little kids. And we do it happily, right? You've ever been there? You, like, you'll happily 
do this. I remember uh, my kids' favorite ride is the Toy Story ride. Have you ever been there to Disney World? And it's like they have characters and murals and like this whole experience as you're in line. And it's like you're building anticipation even though it's a 75-minute wait. Come on. And I've got four little ones. They've also, what they've learned is that if they put the wait time up there, like if you know how long that you have to wait, it actually helps you wait with a better heart. You're pleasantly surprised, guess what, when you didn't have to wait 70 minutes and you only had to wait 58. You almost feel like you got a deal, right? Like it said 70, 70 minutes, we only waited 58. Like I feel great about this, right? They're so good at what they do. If you go on to the psychology of waiting, uh, people have a tolerance for waiting that is proportional to the quantity of service they anticipate. What does that mean? If you have a cart full of groceries, you don't mind waiting. But if you have one or two items, how many know you will lose your mind if you have to wait very long? Isn't that true? You're like, I don't want to wait. You have, what? what is this in front of me? When there's numerous lanes or checkout lines, it causes anxiety in people. Because it causes anxiety around choosing the shortest line and anxiety that your line will be slowed or halted. Come on now. How many of you have been there? You're looking at people's carts. You're looking at the age of the person. You're looking at the checkout person, how efficient they look. I'm not joking. There was a lady in front of me at Whole Foods the other day, and she is got out of her pocketbook, and she is like, I haven't seen coins in forever. <laughs> I don't get to the last time I held a nickel, you know? And she's like, and I'm like looking at all these people, and I'm just like, be patient, right? Be patient. In this article, they actually talked about there's a fear of something called slips and skips, where people who enter the line first watch those who arrived later overtake them in line. And it causes anxiety. I'm gonna pick a line. I, I did this the other day. We're coming back from a trip with got the whole family in the car and we drive through Chick-fil-A and like I pull up, you know, there's two lines and I pull up right next to this white SUV, this mom next to me and I'm looking over like, oh, well, who's gonna order fastest because I'm gonna get in front of you, right? And what this mom didn't know is that we'd already ordered online. So when you do that, you just have to tell the person with the iPad your name and you just get to go right through. And I can't tell you the joy where I'm just like, yeah, come on now. <laughs> that happened. What was our message on last week? I can't remember. Humility, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> the study concluded that our experience of waiting in line is all about perception over reality. Companies learn that perception is easy to manipulate or control. Right? So here's what we learn if you're taking notes and following along. We don't mind waiting as long as we believe we are in control of the timing and the outcomes. That's what this study concluded. People actually don't mind waiting. What they mind is not knowing how long they're gonna be waiting. What they mind is, is, is when they feel caught and, and trapped and it's been now 10, 20, 30 minutes and they don't know when they're gonna get their service. We wanna be control of the outcomes. In the book of James, it's obvious from the text that the recipient of James's letter are struggling with a variety of difficulties. Some of them we get in the letter, and some of them we just know because James is addressing it specifically. In the first part of chapter five, James five, which we didn't read this morning, is this appeal against the rich who are corrupt, and they're withholding wages from those who are poor and in the church. And so these people who are in the church are writing to James and saying, we're not getting paid our wages. Like these wealthy, rich landowners, not only are they not paying us, but they're living these lavish, crazy lifestyles. What should we do, James? Should we rebel? Should we lead a revolution? 
What should we do because of this injustice? Like we have to do something. And James says, no, you're not gonna do any of that. God hears your cries. God sees this injustice. And if you are patient, God will move on your behalf. How many know that's not the answer any of us want? Nope. What they wanted was revenge. I want them to pay. What James is saying, God brings justice, not revenge. You want something to do, somebody to do something now, but God sees you, he hears you, and if you're patient, God will do something on your behalf. The outline for James 5, 5 through 12 that we just read, I'm gonna give it to you, and we're gonna go back through it. Here's the four things James tells his audience. Be patient, the Lord is coming. Be patient, God is accomplishing something in you. Be patient with each other. And then be patient, God's promises are true. So let's look at this for a minute. Number one, be patient, the Lord is coming. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. For the last 2,000 years of the Christian life, after Jesus, the hearts and imaginations of every Christian has been set on the return of Christ. That all of us right now, we are moving towards something. It's not stationary. We are moving towards something. That all things are gonna be restored that this earth is actually not just gonna go up in a ball of flames, but what it says is that God, when he returns, will restore and renew a new heaven and new earth. If you've never read Revelation chapter 21, go and read. It's one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture of the Garden of Eden restored. Creation as God intended you and I to experience it. Communion and fellowship is restored to the place that God created it to be. Here's a question I think that you and I have to wrestle with, do we take comfort in Christ's coming? Is it, does it move beyond just a theological precept? Oh yeah, I know that Christ is gonna return. Or does it actually move into our lives where we have hope that Christ will renew, restore, and that Christ will bring justice? Where there's been injustice, God will make every wrong right again. I think so many people have a uh, distorted view of God that when they think of the second coming or the judgment uh, of God, it brings more fear than joy, right? If you think of the second coming of Christ or the return of Christ or the judgment of, of Christ and your thought is like, nah, don't come yet, I really wanna finish some other things in life, then you have missed on the beauty of what God will do. You will never be lacking, right? You will never be longing for anything more. God will complete everything. You'll feel at home and at rest and so we, as the body of Christ should anticipate, right? With joy, Christ come, would you please come and make this right again? Uh, I I remember years ago when they first opened the gathering place, uh, our family was there like every other day because I had, my kids were pretty small at the time, four small children, and some of you will know that there's like a jungle gym area where you can kind of go from one place to the next, and my fourth child, Jude, is a boy, and so he's got a little crazy in him because he's the fourth child and he's a boy. And so he was just determined that whatever my older siblings do, I will do. He's always been that way in life. And so he's, uh, they're all pretty close together in age, but he's always gonna keep up. If you can do it, I can do it. And so I remember it's like the first time that we were ever there and he climbs up these uh, ropes to the top of this area and for the first time he looks down and he's like, oh no. <laughs> and he's like, dad, come get me. I'm like, you're good, buddy. It's too high for dad, <laughs> you know? Just come back, back down the way that, that, that you went up. 
nope, I can't do it, I can't do it. And so his other siblings are like, Jude, just put your foot here. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. And you can see that he's starting to panic and he's just clutching on as, as hard as he can, but he won't even look down. It's like, I'm gonna have to climb this thinking thing and like put him on my back and try to, try to get down. And, and so kind of navigating all of this with him. But let me tell you the mindset that I think you and I have to live with in our life as we await the coming of Christ is this understanding of, you know what, it's all good because dad's coming. Everything's gonna be okay because guess what, my father's on the way. Some of you in the room, you did not grow up with a good father. So this may be a little bit hard for you to understand. But when you have a good father, when you have a good dad, guess what, when dad shows up, you don't have to worry about stuff anymore. You ever been there? Like, oh yeah, I had a flat tire, but it's, it's okay because dad's on the way. And I know when dad gets here, dad's gonna know what to do. I grew up with a really good father. I, I understand that. That's not, that's not a, it's not hard for me to understand that, but some of you don't understand that. And so we, we have to live with this mentality of like, no matter what you go through right now, and no matter how difficult it gets, it's okay because dad's on the way. My father is on the way and my father will take care of it. And guess what? That's why every week we gather together as the body of Christ and we come to this table right here. And we take the body and the blood. And we, we do this table liturgy that we're gonna do in just a minute. And get, what do we say at the, at the end of this time in this, this table liturgy? We say, Christ has died. If you know it, say it with me. Christ is risen and Christ will Every week we declare the reality. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Every week we reorient our hearts out from the things of this world and back and towards the reality that guess what? Dad is coming. My father's on the way. And my father is really, really good. And he's good and he's trustworthy. And guess what? I can trust my life with him. And so I take peace now, no matter how hard my circumstances are, because dad is on the way. Be patient, the Lord is coming, James says. And guess what? Sometimes that's not the answer that people wanna hear. What they wanna hear is be patient. God is about to change your circumstances right now. Can he? Sure. Does he always? No. Sometimes it's, nope, you're gonna have to hold on and persevere. Then James goes on and says, be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. If you were here at the week one, this kind of takes us back to the week one of James where he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance and patience. The farmer can plant the seeds. The farmer can fertilize. The farmer can pull the weeds. But guess what? The farmer does not determine the rains or the growth. He waits patiently. And in the waiting, as he's patiently waiting, guess what grows? Faith grows. Because I can't control the outcome. These are a group of people that are trying to control outcomes and James is like, you are like the farmer who is patiently waiting for the autumn and fall rains because guess what? You can't do this part. And you have to trust that God is doing something in you and through you in this process. This is what made men and women in the Old Testament great. 
It wasn't because they had some sort of thing inside of them and they were just better than everybody else or they were talented. Guess what you see time and time again, whether it was in the prison or the cave or the wilderness or the pasture or all these places where we're forgotten, right? Guess what? Every great man and woman of God that we almost read in the Old Testament came to that place. And that was the place where they had to choose faith. That was the place where I don't know how this is gonna work out. Like Joseph is forget, forgotten time and time again and he's sitting in a prison and he gets forgotten again and he's like, how could I have a dream and end up here? Moses is the prince of Egypt. He kills an Egyptian slave master is now a shepherd in the middle of the wilderness of Midian. How did I get here? David is supposed to be king, but now he's running for his life and he's in the cave of Adullam and life seems to be over. How did I get here? And James says, guess what happens in the waiting? You're tested. Testing comes in the waiting. God does something in the waiting. In fact, there's something that happens in the waiting, right, that doesn't happen when life is good, amen? There's something that draws us and pulls us to the heart of God in the waiting, in the in-between, where we just have to trust God. I can be honest with you, I've done a lot of counseling appointments at City Church the last couple weeks with a lot of people who are walking through deep brokenness. And it was almost like this last week, I was just a broken record. And I would sit and, and listen about incredible loss or incredible brokenness. And guess what, in those moments, guess what, there's no answers. People look at me like, do you have an answer for any of this? No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I don't have an answer. But I do believe God is near to you. I believe God's near to the brokenhearted. I believe that if you don't let go and hold on to the rope, then one day you'll have a testimony of God's grace and his goodness, but I know right now, it's so tough. And it's hard to see that God is good. And it's hard to believe it. I felt myself saying that over and over and over again this week. Be patient, the Lord is coming. Be patient because God is accomplishing something in you whether you see it or not as you wait. The third one is this, James says, be patient with each other. Be patient with each other. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. How many know when life is not going according to plan, whenever it's rough, it's really easy to start grumbling? Nobody has to teach you to do that, right? Again, going back to my family, like you have four younger kids, you go on a road trip with four younger kids and everybody's tired and it's hot and things like that. How many know grumbling is a natural response? And sometimes, like Lindsay and I will have to look at each other because we start grumbling against each other and we're like, we, we, can't, we gotta be a team. Or this, this uh, army that we created back there, they will destroy us. <laughs> if we're not united, they'll take us out, right? Because everybody's grumbling and it's like, you just crossed over my part of the car. And you know, with, with six people in a car, you're always close to somebody. And so I, I do, you know, just dad of the year thing where I just yell to the back, stop yelling at each other, you know? Because <laughs> that's what good parents do. They yell at their kids to stop yelling, you know? <laughs> right now, if I hear another word, right? And as James is writing this, that's the picture I get in my head. Because life's hard and it's not going according to plan, and there's persecution, and there's suffering, 
and you just worked really hard, but you didn't get paid, and so now you can barely get by, and the person who didn't pay you is over there living lavishly, and you're thinking to yourself, you don't know what I wanna do to that guy, right? And so they begin to turn on themselves and grumble and begin to judge each other because how many know it's a lot easier to point your finger at someone else than it is to look inside in your own life. And James, again, what James does all throughout his books, and I will say this, the book of James jumps around all over the place, that's why it's hard to follow sometimes. But James is like, what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in here. The power of life in the tongue, in our words, how you speak. And so James says, you can't do this. You can't judge each other because guess what? The same grace that that person needs for what they've done is the same grace you need for what you've, been, you've done, right? So you don't judge other people because that same judgment that you use on others will come back to you. No, speak life. Your words have life and death in them. Be patient with each other. And then James concludes with this. He says, be patient because God's promises are true. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, and then he said, you've heard uh, of the story of Job's perseverance? Now let's be honest with each other for a minute, because there's no story in the Bible that we as Christians want to avoid more than the book of Job. It is weird, and it's hard, and it's complex. And, and I, I can just imagine uh, James writing this letter, and they're like, really? Out of all the books you could pull from, you're gonna, you're gonna go to Job? That's not comforting, you know? That doesn't help me. If you don't know the book of Job, uh, it is complex and it is weird. Uh, there seems to be some, some sort of divine counsel. God, angelic beings, spiritual forces that are in this kind of divine counsel setting, which in fact, all throughout the Old Testament, we kind of get this picture of divine, this divine counsel that's happening. Satan seems to come in to the equation. He looks at Job and he says, of course Job is gonna follow you. You give him all the blessings. I mean, everything that he wants, he's just blessed over and above, but take all those blessings away. Let's see if Job really worships you. If he'll really serve you and sing your praises. So it, it, it seems to be pretty quick, like a matter of moments or, di or days, Job loses everything. All of his children, all of his wealth, Job tears his clothes and sets in sackcloth and ashes, which is just a sign of just brokenness and repentance. And he says, naked I come and naked I will go, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Like Job does not let go of his faith. So, so the enemy, Satan, comes back again. He says, all right, take his health. I guarantee you if you take Job's health, he's not gonna worship you. He's not gonna praise your name. So the next we get is he's literally tearing his clothes, he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes, and he has a jar, like a clay jar, and he's taking the shards of the clay pot and he's scraping the boils off of his skin because he's covered in boils from head to toe. Job's wife walks in. She says, are you still holding on to your integrity, Job? You fool, curse God and die. Now, since a little kid and I read this story, here's what always went through my mind, that Job was sitting there and he's like, God, really, you took everything but you left me with her? <laughs> Lord, go ahead and take her, it's okay. I give her to you. He's suffering. She's gonna come and just add a little bit more. Let go of your integrity, Job. You fool, curse God and die. 
And let me tell you, it's not just this easy path for Job. He doubts, he has friends that come into the equation that try to lead him astray. But what happens at the end of the book of Job is Job encounters God, this amazing passage in scripture where God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the universe, Job? No, I have always been here, I always will be here. I've always been in control. And, and God heals Job and God restores everything that was lost. And even though there's incredible suffering, there's goodness and the faithfulness of God and that's what James tells to the church that is suffering. That's the message. See, this is the struggle with this city church, is that when we place our hopes in this world and what it can offer, guess what? We're continually disappointed when it doesn't meet our expectations. But when we put our hope in the goodness of God, his faithfulness and the hope of eternity, it never disappoints. It never leaves us needing or wanting more because we have put our hope in something that is unshakable and unmoving. And James would say to the people of God, don't give up because God's promises are true. You may see them come to fulfillment now, but you will see them come to fulfillment. You will see it. Be patient, the Lord is coming. Be patient, God is accomplishing something in you. Be patient with each other and be patient, God's promises are true. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit and a virtue that produces life and joy in us. I actually love that not only do we believe that, do we believe that's true because God says it, but there's actually science and experiments and different things that would back this up. I, I remember hearing this years ago, and I've shared this before. Uh, in the early 1970s, there was a group of individuals that did an experiment with children ages four to six. And they would set these kids down at a table and they would set a marshmallow in front of them. And they would say, you can have this marshmallow, but if you're willing to wait for this amount of time, we'll give you two marshmallows. And then they would watch the behavior of the young kids. And you can imagine what these young kids would do. Like they would sit there for a few minutes and then when they would start to get fidgety and they would look at the marshmallow and they're like, do I really want two or would I just want this one right now? And so they did this with like hundreds of kids. And they kind of tracked the progress. In fact, they followed these kids from four to six all throughout elementary and high school and college and into their adult years. You're talking about a 20, 30 year experiment. After tracking this group of children through high school, college, into their adult life, they found that the two marshmallow group had better jobs, stronger marriages, were generally happier in life, and the list goes on and on and on. And they concluded that those individuals who were willing to be patient and actually put into practice delayed gratification in their life, it led to actual results in their life. Isn't that amazing? That patience is not just something that we talk about because it's a good virtue and it's a fruit of the Spirit, but it bears fruit in our life. That we end up loving the things that we have when we are patient with where we are. When we learn to love where we're at and not simply where we want to be. In Henry Nouwen's book, Bread for the Journey, this is gonna be on the screen, I wanna I want read this to you. I, one of the things that draws me to Henry Nouwen is just his rawness, his authenticity. I'm gonna read this to you. He says, patience is a hard discipline. It is not just waiting until something happens over which we have no control. The arrival of the bus, the end of the train, or excuse me, the end of the rain, the return of a friend, and the resolution of a conflict. 
Patience is not a waiting passivity until someone else does something. Patience asks us to live the moment to the fullest, to be completely present to the moment, to taste the here and now, to be where we are. When we are impatient, we try to get away from where we are. We behave as if the real thing will happen tomorrow, later, and somewhere else. Let's be patient and trust that the treasure we look for is hidden in the ground on which we stand. Isn't that good? This kind of passage here, this quote, it hits close to me because some of you know I've preached on this several times. This is the subject of the book that I wrote. And I've shared this many times. I didn't write this book. It only took me, what, eight years to write it, something like that. I didn't write it out of my strength. I wrote it out of my greatest weakness. And my greatest weakness was always loving the place that I was in. I could never smell the roses. I didn't want to stop long enough. There was always something that needed to be done. There was another accomplishment. There was a problem that had to be fixed. There was somewhere we had to go. And I, I was that way as a leader. And I felt like over this time in my life, this season, God was saying, I, want, I need you to slow down. You're gonna miss life if you don't learn to love the place you're in. Because how many know the place that you're in is never perfect, amen? Never. And if you always live your life fixated on what's next, you miss the beauty of the now. You can be in the moment and it beautiful and you miss the moment, right? Because my heart is so fixated on getting out of here. When you're walking through difficulty and struggle and your only thought is remove me from this place, you miss all of the beauty of what God is actually doing inside of you. And I know that's hard. But without the cave moments and without the wilderness and the pasture and out the prison, guess what? Those men and women of God never ultimately arrived to the place where God has called them to be. My book was about the pasture and about the cave and about the palace. And everybody wants to get to the palace and I wanna get there as quickly as I possibly can and with as few bumps as along the way, right? And what God had revealed to me in my journey is he said, man, if I'm not enough for you in the, in, in the pasture, I'll never be enough for you in the palace, that's for sure. If you can't find me in the cave, you won't trust me in the palace, right? You have to learn to embrace the now, the brokenness, the difficulty. Stop and see what I'm doing. Stop long enough to look and say, I'm with you here and now, and it's not about just getting there. Now, now let me, hear me this morning. If you're walking through brokenness this morning, I pray to God that he moves you out of this season into a new one, and if you pray that, how many know that's okay? But I also begin to pray this, God, what are you showing me? What are you revealing me? When I threw, went through my massive health struggles, 2015, 16, and 17, God did such a deep, deep reordering of my heart. I am a totally different leader today on this stage than I was before then. And I look back at that season and I get teary-eyed because it was so stinking dark and so difficult and very few people knew. 
And now, what has it been, six, seven years removed? I say thank you, God, for your grace. Because I wouldn't be the pastor, the father, and the husband that I am today if you had not reshaped me in that season, amen? Amen? It does take a while to get there sometimes. But patience, what is God doing? Stand your feet with me across this room. You know what I find interesting about James? You know what I love about him? The half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, other historical records would show us uh, that James would eventually be martyred for his faith. You know what's amazing about that is James believed what he was preaching, didn't he? He didn't just tell the church about it, he was willing to live it and practice it. Am I looking to the coming of Christ? Do I believe God is at work in me right now no matter what I'm going through? Am I loving towards others as I wait? What's my posture and my, what are the words that I speak? Do I believe God's promises are true? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word that when it falls on good soil, it always produces a harvest. And God, I don't know where that this word is gonna fall today on the hearts of these people but this is the work of your spirit, not the work of a pastor and not the work of a sermon. The work of your spirit is to take the word of God and apply it to each of our hearts. And so today, we ask you to apply your word to our hearts. Whatever we may need today, a word of encouragement, a word of life, a word of correction, a word of challenge, Father, whatever that may be, would you take your word and apply it to our hearts today? We pray for this in Jesus' name. If you would, City Church, just prepare your hearts to receive the body and blood of Jesus. look to the screens and say our table liturgy with me. Let's repeat this together. For the weary, the table is our rest. For the burdened, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, the table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let me say to you that are in the room, and you may not be a follower of Jesus today, we invite you to take Jesus as Lord and Savior. In just a minute, we who are in Christ are gonna step out of our seats or we're gonna come forward and we're gonna take the body and the blood and we're gonna recenter our hearts and lives around the gospel and the work of Jesus. Today, you can take Jesus right where you're at. 
It's you simply confessing that you cannot save yourself. You need a rescuer. You need somebody to come in and rescue you. And then also, you need a Lord. You give God lordship of your life. You're not in control. You let go of the reins and you allow him to take over. And that can happen right where you're at. We even invite you, if you wanna take Jesus, you're welcome to come to the table today and take him with us as a way for you to receive Christ. We invite you to do that. On the night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. He broke it and he gave it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body that's gonna be ripped apart for you. And I will gladly be ripped apart so that you can be put back together and be made whole. And then Jesus would take the cup, the shed blood poured out for you and I, and he would give it to his disciples and he said, drink this. This is my new covenant. My blood shed and poured out for you. One day you and I will stand before God and he will not see our sin. He will see the blood of Jesus on our lives. I invite the communion team to come and prepare the elements. If you would, one more time with me, would you bow your heads and just prepare your hearts? God wants to meet you today in this place, where you're at, no matter what you need. Maybe you need to be reminded of the love of God. Maybe your heart has become hard and calloused and closed off. And today as you take the body and the blood of Jesus, God wants to open your heart again. Maybe you need healing in your body. You come today and disease and physical ailments are overwhelmed you. God wants to meet you today with his body and blood. Maybe there's just been a darkness. You're just kind of in a funk. There's something that's just surrounded you and you just, you can't seem to get out of it. And today as you come to the table, that the, that the Holy Spirit is just gonna lift that off of you. Maybe your heart is burdened with brokenness and a broken relationship. God wants to meet you at the table. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're alive and active in this place, in your church, in the body of Christ. We thank you that you wanna meet us through the body and the blood, that this is not just a ritual, it's just not something we do going through the motions, but it's a place where heaven touches earth. God, it's a thin space where we meet your presence, where we encounter you, where you move in our hearts. And so as we step out of our seats in a minute and we come forward as the body of Christ, we declare you to be Lord and Savior of our lives over all of creation, the God who is, who was, and who will be. And we give you reign in our lives and in this place. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you're ready, you're going to step out of your section to the right. You're going to come forward take, and then whenever you're ready, you're welcome to come to the table together.